Hello, everybody. Since last time we potted, the Red Sox split in Houston, a two and two series, and ever since it has been terrible. They are four and eight, dating back with two losses versus the Dodgers, getting swept against the Astros with the one and five stretch at Fenway. They won two out of three against the Royals, and after today, they just lost two out of three against Tampa. Just a lot of mental mistakes that we threw away in a lot of those games. A lot of bad managing, a lot of bad coaching, and a lot of bad defense, as we saw. Just pretty unacceptable from a standpoint where your season's on the line, and especially against the Astros, you needed to win those games, and then you just get swept in an embarrassing fashion all around. As we all think, the season is pretty much done. Technically, it's not, but it's not looking good at all. They need to pretty much win 80% of these games to have a shot at the playoffs, which can be done. We've seen it before, but very unlikely. So that being said, I want to hear your guys' thoughts because I, I think this team has no shot now, but we never know. Yeah, so like, I was saying the other day in the chat, there definitely seems to be a difference on teams when you know that you're putting out a roster every single night that has less talent than the other team has and that you're just going to lose because the product you put is just worse. But it feels like this year they're just tripping over themselves more than a lack of talent leading to losses and to me at least that seems almost exclusively like a coaching issue or maybe not exclusively there's probably some personnel issues in there but with the defense with the base running with the lack of clutch I mean everything all kind of just adds up onto itself and one thing I think I wanted to point out a little bit was how everybody talks about defense and how the defense has been the bane of the team this year, how the defense is a reason while, you know, run prevention is an all time low, but I wanted to talk about how with our offense and our clutch and situational hitting, the real issue has been the base running. If you look at the Red Sox, via uh, sprint speed, there's more players on the team, especially everyday players that have above average sprint speed. But yet the Red Sox are bottom six in base BSR, which stands for base running value. And I think all of this just has to come back to the coaching and how Fayblaze and the other bench coaches haven't really done a good job of just keeping the base running fundamental, whether that's the triple play against the Braves or, you know, the Reese play that we all know against the Blue Jays. But it's just so many little things that um, just kind of add up onto each other. And I wouldn't be mad at clearing house this, this winter and just replacing them. It feels like ever since Core has been bringing on his crew and his people that he knows, 
the fundamental baseball that this team is playing has just been getting worse. So when you say clean house, Luke, do you mean, you know, everybody? And I mean, I'm Brian O'Halloran, everyone. Do you want to start completely? <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm talking okay. mainly about the coaching staff and about fixing the fundamentals. Because I think this team has the talent right now, even with all the construction issues with the rotation and how, you know, it's kind of built around injuries. Even with all that, I still think they could be a playoff team if they were fundamentally sound, ran the bases right, didn't feel like they had greased up hands every single time or throw like they were, you know, blindfolded. Um, It's led to at least a handful of losses. And when you're this close down the stretch and you're, you know, three games out, that's a really big issue. Led to a loss tonight with the Willer Bray and Benefield. We didn't go back on that ball hit from uh, Paredes. Was it Paredes? Yeah. Paredes hit the ball to center field. I thought he could have went back and made a play on it and actually missed instead of post game too, that he had room to make a play. Um, even last night with the ball in the air. I'm not blaming him for that because, I mean, the drop is a drop. And I have no idea why they decided to maybe move the color of the baseball or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's just situations like that, not talking to guys, giving you a shooter, not communicating. And I understand, you know, they're both rookies. You know, they're not going to get it right off the bat. But, yes, I do agree that I think some coaching changes do need to happen. I think it starts with, you know, in that case, it would start with Ramon Vasquez and Cora, you know, relaying to the guys that, hey, you got to talk on that. Um, as far as base running goes, absolutely, Carlos Fables needs to just go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, out of all the coaches, I, we have Carlos Fables is just the one that really irritates me because I feel like he's he's costing the Red Sox so many runs and possibly wins with just horrible decisions to send runners and you know keep runners and everything like that. Like tonight, tonight, perfect example. Uh, baseball, baseball off the middle, Raphael Devers. You have Connor Wong on third base. Connor Wong doesn't score. Well, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Send him home. I score. Yeah, I, you know, I feel, I feel like Carlos Fables was really public enemy number one during that um, twenty twenty one season, and with all the issues last year, just around everything we kind of let him off the hook a little bit but definitely some of that has been you know spotlighted this year with everything i mean it's pretty much a repeat of what happened in 21 yeah i don't disagree (laughs) i i agree with both of your points this all falls on coaching and it definitely falls on the players but like you said with Febles, he's just made too many mistakes for a while now. And I think we can all agree he's definitely the one that needs to go like immediately before anyone else. I do want Fats I want Fatsay gone as well. We take way too many first pitch strikes. 
I, I, at this time, like a month or a month and a half ago, we like we led the entire MLB in pitches taken down the middle. Where, as you see, the best offensive teams in baseball, you see the Astros, uh, the Rangers with Tim Hires, you see the Braves. They all they're all like top five in these stats. They swing first pitch, like they they know what they're doing, and our offense is pretty good. Talent wise, we're pretty damn good. We have career wise, we have about six to seven, at least six seven above average hitters in their career, and when you have Tristan Casas, who's you, you, I don't know if you guys want to agree with this, he might be the best. Hitter, he might he might be the best hitter on the team overall. You can argue Devers, obviously, it's up to you, but overall, I think it's Casas. I mean, he's At the only guy. Time, I would agree. It is. It is Casas. Other than Devers and his aggressiveness, he's the only guy on this team I see swinging first pitch when it's a strike, and his like plate approach is just amazingly. It's borderline flawless. He's figured it out. He can he can walk. He knows what he is. He's become a really dangerous hitter. But we need hitters like that. Adam Duvall's been great. He's also another aggressive guy. But before uh, Verdugo got going again, he was just taking way too many first pitch strikes. Yoshida has that problem. I think Story has had that problem as well. And Story's problem is he can't lay off the breaking ball. That's his biggest problem. And it's just that's why I said the other day, I said, somebody needs to take him, sit in the video room and make him watch. Make him watch himself swing the bat in counts where it's, you know, you're expecting it. You're expecting a breaking ball. And what is it? It's a curveball out and out out of the side of the zone on the outer part of the plate. That's it. That's what he can't lay off. You need you need coaching. That can correct that. That'll say, "Come here, watch what you're doing. Watch what you're doing. It's easy. It's it's not easy, but it's it's correctable. Let's fix it." Yeah, if I'm I, seeing this at home, there's no way nobody there is seeing it either. You know, I bash my head against the wall watching this happen. I'm trying to remain PG thirteen, um, but you know, it's just it it's infuriating. He hasn't lived up to his contract. I'll fully admit that. Do I think he can still salvage it? Yeah. But, you know, it's he's got to turn it around next year. Next year, he has to produce. He just has to. I, you know, I'm not really worried about story at all. I may be in the minority on that, but um, it feels like a Duval type player almost where you're just when you're on you're the hottest hitter on the team and when you're off you're unable to watch but he hasn't had a spring training in either of his first two years with the with the Red Sox um you know in 2022 he came in he played a small handful of games after an already shortened spring training and then he went on paternity leave and missed a handful there. And then this year, obviously, he didn't get anything. He only got 10-ish, 15-ish minor league games against just inferior pitching before he got thrown into the fire in a, you know, middle-of-the-lineup hole against good teams in the middle of a playoff race. So I think if he has the whole offseason where he doesn't have to worry about his health or 
getting on a new team and he can just focus on hitting the baseball, I'm not that terribly worried about his future with the franchise. It's not that I'm worried about his future. I mean, I just want him to produce at the level that I know he's capable of doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's way better than what he's showing. And I and I get your point. I understand your point. You know, he obviously hadn't played in a year. And he got thrown into, you know, the Red Sox at the, at the time were playing well. You know, we're on the cusp of getting right back into it, a wild card spot. You have Toronto sliding. You have the Yankees playing terrible. And now they're playing good because they have some dude from Area 51 or whatever the, his name is, you know, from, you know, and he's going to be letting the world on fire now for a little bit. It's just it was a prime time to to solidify our spot, I think, and really project forward and say, yeah, we're for real. And I don't know, maybe it's just me as a as a fan. You know, my hopes were up. You know, I was expecting too much. But you're right. I mean, he didn't have a spring training. He had 15 games of minor league baseball where he was facing inferior pitching. And maybe he could have used more time. And by the way, I hope Dan Shaughnessy, if you ever hear this for some godforsaken reason, I dislike you. But that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, nobody likes Dan Shaughnessy. Yeah, no, nobody likes him. But back to back to what I was saying, um, it's just so frustrating sometimes watching him chase those pitches because I know he's better than that. And I know he knows he's better than that. And I just, I really hope that he puts the work in. And I don't doubt that he will. I just, I don't know. It's just cautious optimism, I guess. However you want to view it, it's up to you. In my opinion, for Story to be worth his contract, just just be a league average hitter. Our offense is pretty good talent-wise. If you're the sixth or seventh best hitter on this team next season, we'll gladly take that because... Him hitting homers, him being an average hitter overall with his defense and speed, he's going to win us games. And his defense and speed makes it not not just speed. He's a great base runner, actually. He's probably the best base runner on the team by far. Like, overall, I think Durant. he's smarter. Durant's fastest, but you can definitely argue Story's the smartest base runner by his BSR value in his career. It's however you want to view it. But in my opinion, if you just, just be a league average hitter, and he's putting up a – Four win season. I mean, look at Lindor in 2021. He had a 734 OPS, a 101 diversity plus, 4.3 Fangraphs war. Like, if you do that, you're, you're worth the contract. I'm not going to say he has been disappointing. He has not lived up, but I'm not going to say it's a failure yet. All it takes is one good year next year, and that narrative changes. That's just how sports are. And like Luke said, uh, you haven't, he hasn't had a spring training yet. So there's that. And now, I want to talk about Dave Bush. So he's I'm not I'm not the biggest fan, but being realistic here since May, the Red Sox actually like in Sierra, uh at FIP, all those analytical stats, believe it or not, the Red Sox are actually pretty above average over that. They rank around 10th through 12th in that range. And for what the pitching staff talent is, I'd say that's serviceable. But my issue is with Brian Brazier leaving and Heim Bloom kept him so long because he knew he was a good pitcher. He leaves to the Dodgers 
all he does is add a cutter and be that dude's been elite since and we watched him just own our offense for an inning like we're like what the hell where was this and that reflects really bad on the pitching coach and that's where i'm 50 50 on like maybe do we give this guy one more chance at a year i'm okay letting him go but i understand why they might keep him he's done some good but the bad might outweigh the good so what do you guys think about bush I'm not too terribly opposed to getting rid of Bush either. I think, like I said earlier, if you clean house, nobody would have an issue with that as far as the coaching staff goes, other than maybe some of the HVT prime chorus stands. <laughs> but um, as far as Dave Bush goes, he kind of opened the season on the hit list. You know, yes. every game – you would see, oh my God, Dave Bush. What are you doing, Dave Bush? But I feel like he really isn't the problem. And he's not the answer either, which is why I wouldn't be worried about letting him go. But he's not the problem. Because like you said, that are top 12, 13 in every analytical pitching stat. And they even were in May when they were getting bad results, you know. Dale Sierra was in the threes. A lot of the guys, other Sierras were in the threes as well. And they were really just not getting the luck of the draw. So he hasn't done a bad job. And if you, I think there's other issues that if you want to focus on them more than the pitching coach, I wouldn't be mad at it. But that's really the one where you look at the team ERA and you look at the team runs per game you would say that Bush is the bigger problem than Fess is, but I would be much more enthused to get rid of Fess than Bush. Yeah, I want them both gone, but that's just me. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to move. I understand that since May, you know, they're, they're top 12, most pitching analytical stats. That That's great. Um, but to what you said, you know, you have Ryan Brazier, who's kept for an over the same amount of time, definitely overstayed his welcome. Um, then he used to go to the Dodgers, and then he adds a cutter. And, you know, he becomes a 2018 Ryan Brazier, and then, you know, he's, he's that. Yeah, I, I just, just want to say on Ryan Brazier um, that his – Advanced analytics with the Dodgers aren't the best. Um, they're pretty much what they were with the Red Sox. It's just that he's probably had some success with the cutter, but then also just some average, you know, regression to the mean, which I just wanted to put in there. They, the Ryan Brazier, you can say it's on Bush, but I don't think it's totally fair without his ERA and Sierra difference on the Dodgers is kind of not reflective of how good he actually has been. And Dave Bush has kind of been solid with the bullpen this year, really, especially with guys like Bernardino. Yovera has been good. Um, Winkowski's having a breakout year. Like, it, it's not it's not all bad. Yeah, that's exactly I love Josh Winkowski. Go ahead, my, my bad, Isaac. Oh, no, you're, you're good, man. Um. But yeah, no, look, you have a good point. There's just, there's just like there's good and bad with Bush. And Chris Martin's having the best year of his career. 
and getting him from the Dodgers and him being better. I mean, that says something. You added velocity to Kenley Jansen. That says something. So part of me makes me think we'll get into the offseason pretty soon after we talk about Cora. But if you add pitching talent to this offseason and Bush is still here, most likely he's going to look better at his job because uh, as a quote, you've heard the Jimmy's and Joe's. That's what it's always about. The players. That pitching talent will make his job look better. But we've seen what he can do with good pitching. I mean, look at Martin, Jansen. Uh, him doing it with Bernardino has probably been his most successful like pitcher. He's broke out in his Red Sox tenure. There's a couple others as well. I mean, I can't really think of anybody else, really. Lovera's been good for us after his first couple outings. Schreiber. Yeah, yeah, Schreiber last year. I still think he's a good pitcher, uh, but he's regressed and he's kind of melted down a lot in high leverage spots this year. Might be because of his injuries he's had, so it's understandable. But what we'll see what what they do with Bush. So now, <laughs> let's talk about Alex Cora. So I, I just want to speak my mind on this. Great clubhouse guy, arguably the best clubhouse manager in baseball. Players love him. He loves his players, but. I think it's time for him to go. I don't think he's an awful manager, but given the personnel you have, I by watching games, by watching a lot of games every inning, I just don't think he manages the team to the best of their ability. I mean, for example, why did it take so long for Tristan Casas to back cleanup when, I mean, Yoshida was struggling and you kept batting Yoshida cleanup while Casas was... All right, speaking of Casas, since May 1st, only one player has a higher OPS than Tristan Casas in the majors. You can guess who that player is. Probably Mookie Betts. I'm in the American League. My bad. Wow. Shohei. Yeah, it's Shohei Otani. Overall, he's fourth behind Mookie, Otani, and someone. Oh, I think it's I think it's Olsen or Freeman. Yeah, it's one of them. But yeah, I mean, when you have one of the best hitters in baseball, still hitting six while you have Yoshida, who's just hitting a bunch of grounders and slumping at fourth, that's just going to cost your team games and less. it's going to make your team score less runs. Stuff like that. Another example is, I mean, this four and eight stretch, probably the worst managing I've ever seen from Cora. And last year was pretty bad. Just the game he used, the, the game against the Astros, that, that was probably the worst. That, that was rock bottom managing. I've never seen Red Sox Twitter that much, just like, all right, I'm done with Cora. Fire this guy. It was pretty bad that night. And then using Kenley three days in a row. That that's was, what he did not need to that's, use him against the Royals. That's my issue. Why was he in a seven-win game against the fucking Royals? I understand using him yesterday, but using him in two days in a row, you're going to have to go with someone else against the Rays. It is what it is, but most of Kenley's uh, bad outings have been because of overusage and just bad managing from Cora. I think he's only allowed like maybe three or four runs all season where he's been properly used. And I get it. It's September. Your team's trying to make a race, but you got to manage your bullpen better. I mean, if it's seven, one against the Royals on a ninth, use someone else. Don't use Kenley, especially when you have a series against the Rays where they're a good team. You're going to play close games. That's where you use Kenley Jansen. Who pitched yeah. in that game when he was uh, in against the Royals? 
It was not just Star. It was, was it Hauk? Was it was Hauk. Yeah, it was Hauk, and then it went to wait. Sunday. It was Sunday. It was Sale. Sale went five. Um, Sale five, and then I think Whitlock pitched that game, right? It was Sale, Lavera, Schreiber, Bernardino, Jansen. Yeah, no need to use five guys, six guys, and a blowout versus the Royals. And if you asked him, he'd probably just say to get Kenley going since he hasn't in a while. But then that fucks you in the race series, pardon my French, um, because you get in close games against good teams. And that's just what happens. And it's just little things like that where he just overmanages himself, trying to do a little bit too much, where doing in situations where doing less is more. And I do get that he's the clubhouse guy. Everybody, uh, you know, ride or die, 2018. Everybody was on his back. Best manager ever. But it feels like some of that connectivity between him and the players is not the same. Like, they still like him, right? Like, I feel like if if one of the players was listening to this or you asked them if they still liked Cora, they'd be like, yeah, we love that guy. But it feels like some of the spark that was there in 2018 just isn't there anymore between them. And, you know, we're not in the clubhouse, so we don't know the inner workings of that. But if you don't have that special generational, you know, pull like Cora did during the World Series team, it's really hard to overlook some of his managerial fails when I think the lineups are bad, but they're way more excusable than some of the bullpens he's done this year. You know, like you said, with Jansen and working him back to back to back, it made me think about the Cardinals series early in the year where we got swept, which to me wasn't probably as dumb as the Bearclaw game versus the Astros, but that one made me a lot angrier to keep putting in Jansen consistently even after Jansen blew a game the previous day and you give him no rest like these are just the things that stack up because they cause sweeps and you know you can't come back from sweeps unless you're consistently doing the sweeping and just the purposefully blowing of some games on a good bullpen, I mean, he's been given one of the better bullpens on paper in baseball and doesn't have a lick of sense for managing it. So there's just some things where he got a pass last year, 2020, 2019, for having poor roster construction. But when you have a roster like you do this year that's winnable, it's hard to overlook. Agreed. you have anything, Tom? I mean, I don't disagree. Um, one thing you said, and I, I, I get your point that uh, maybe the spark has worn off, but like you also have to understand that 2018 team outside of two guys is not the same. You know, this is a completely different team now. So obviously he has to, you know, I guess build that rapport with a completely new roster almost outside of Salem and Um 
do I do would I be upset if the Red Sox let him go? From a fan standpoint, obviously it would be, you know, for me, yeah, but I would quickly get over it because I understand, you know, team first, you know, I want the best coaching staff and the best, you know, I want this team in the best position possible to win going forward, managing the next generation of Red Sox, whether that's, you know, Bayo, Cassis, you know, York, Maya, etc., or, you know, the guys that we have right now, the sales, the devers, you know, etc. So as far as if I think that the Red Sox, you know, should let him go, I mean, the consensus would say, yeah, I'm still give him 2024. Same thing with high end, you know, if they're in the same boat, then it's time to go. But if they do get rid of him, I would understand well, I just want to add one more thing onto what I was saying about kind of like 2018 versus modern day. It felt like that team post-2017, obviously Mookie had a down year that year, had the worst hitting year of his career. So that was kind of one of the reasons why 2017 sparked out, led to Farrell getting fired. Just a lot of underperformance in general in 2017. But it felt like that team was so talented and they just needed somebody to rein them in together and get them rallying around one thing. And Cora was the right man for that job. But for this team in this year, I would prefer somebody like Cash. Cash-esque, obviously, you're not going to get Cash himself, but this more analytically based and makes the smart moves rather than the emotional, you know, get the players going moves. Now, see, I don't like Kevin Cash at all. I think when it comes push to shove and the chips are down, he way over manages. But that's just me. We've seen that time and time again in the postseason with the time they raise. But, you know, Cash X, just someone that's more analytical. No, no, I I understand what you're saying. I'm just – I'm saying Kevin Cash, you know, Kevin Cash is Kevin Cash. I'm not saying somebody, you know, similar to him, like uh, what's his face, Snicker for the Braves. He's really good. I'm just going to just talk about an example with Cora. I noticed um, against the Astros. So when what game was it? The Barraclaw game. No, not that one. I think Bayo started. It was Bayo versus France. Yiner, Are you talking about the second time around? Oh, yeah, yeah. Diner Diaz was up. And uh, shout out Jordan on Twitter. Yiner Diaz against lefties, 40 diversity plus. Yiner Diaz against righties, like 140, 150 diversity plus. Cora takes out Jakes for Schreiber, and that didn't go well. It's just small stuff like that. You're not getting the best from your team to succeed in the position you're in. And that's why I'm okay with letting Cora go, in my opinion. And that's just an example I provided just to, like, maybe see how you want to view it. I'm just defending my argument here. I, I think it's okay to get an analytical guy who can manage this team best way possible. Because, you're, you're, I mean, you're not, you're not the Braves. You're not the Dodgers. You don't, you don't have all those amazing players. 
yeah, you're, you have a talented roster that can make the postseason. I mean, let, let, let's be realistic. How much talented, how much better, like, talent-wise, are the Orioles better than the Red Sox? You really think about it. I think our rotation has more pitching talent. Bullpen, bullpen, it's pretty close. But without Batista, I think the Red Sox have a better bullpen. Talent-wise, offensively, probably pretty even overall. Well, the difference just, there is situational hitting. And it's kind of the same with the Blue Jays, too, in, like, our boat. The Orioles are the clutchest team in, in the league. Like, if you look at the clutch numbers, they're consistently up there. And, and I just don't understand how they are. Yeah, but I, I don't mean to cut you off. I just don't understand how that team consistently puts up five-plus runs per game. I don't get it. They've been doing well, it they have all a deep lineup. season. They, no, their lineup, deep lineup is they, – Their deep lineup, lineup is, is deep, but, like, league. I mean, the thing about it is – I mean, you guys have heard this before. The law of averaging. You would expect that players go through, you know – Slumps. The dips, the dips, the slumps, and everything like that. And there are times where nothing goes right. It's just not the case for them. I just don't understand it. When you have a consistently clutch team that has has Bautista behind them so you can win the one-run games every single time, run differential doesn't really matter. Um, Now, obviously, they've kind of kept that up even without Bautista, which is – moderately surprising but when you consistently get hits in clutch and it doesn't matter who you win games and that's the other thing about the red sox it seems like everybody slumps at the same time everybody hits at the same time it's not oh this guy's not hitting next man up let's hit pick him up driving the run in the clutch situation like they just don't do that at a high level, and the Orioles do, and that's the difference between the teams. You know what the Orioles remind me of, in a way, the old Cleveland back then Indians teams or Guardians teams, but with not as good pitching. But the lineups are similar. You get the the team that hits in clutch spots, and the lineups are just deep and. They have players that'll just wear you down. Like Stephen Kwan. Perfect example. Will wear you down. Just I don't know. I just felt like I should throw that in there. I don't know if you two correlated that, but yeah, I mean, just comparing just the two teams. You could just see the Orioles are just more competent, better coached, better managed, uh players doing their jobs more. And I do think it all reflects on leadership and managing at the end. So that's pretty much it about Cora. Next, I just want to talk about the offseason plan. I mean, I think I do this every episode, but I like to hear from other opinions. I've said this a billion times on this in a Twitter account. You have to get you have to get Yamamoto. That's like the most obvious guy you have yeah. to sign since probably David Price, and you can even argue that's even more than David Price. I mean, look at 2015, below 500, your pitching sucked. What did John Henry do? Get David Price. Get get Go get an ace. I, I don't care what people say, oh, David Price was not good here. No, no. He, he won us a World Series. He outdueled Verlander, Kershaw, and Garrett Cole. 
like and, and yeah, not even that or, and or i don't i don't i don't mean to i don't mean to interject because i mean obviously you know me in my my price tom track, is the biggest david price fan there is I, i'm sorry i need to i need to interject because like everybody will sit there and say well he was terrible in 2016 if you look he at wasn't. his underlying peripherals he wasn't a bad pitcher in 2017 before his elbow his quote unique elbow acted up end quote he was hitting 97 miles an hour on the gun and he was doing really well i had i said if he stays healthy in 2017 he is gonna he's gonna be a top 15 pitcher in 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 the league and he was on his way and then he got hurt again and then 2018 what did he do he came back he was solid he had a little bit of a skid against the Yankees, of course, because he always did. For some reason, Gary Sanchez just had his number, took his lunch money, whatever. And then sale went down, if you all remember that. But what did David Price do? He came in, and I called him the stopper because that guy came in and held it down for, what, two months? Yeah. So I just don't season. get the – Exactly. And then it's the 2018 postseason. He was bad against the Yankees. He did good against the Astros. He went to Houston and he shoved. And then he went to the World Series and he shoved even more. Twice. Not me getting emotional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, this, uh, I love this David team Price. Needs, so. <laughs> this team needs, in, in the offseason, in my opinion, um, you know. I am not – I'm a Heim guy, as y'all two know, more so than fire him. But maybe, you know, I'm not on HVT level. Um, I think the offense needs some work around the edges with defense in certain skill positions, center field, shortstop, catcher. Um, but in the bullpen doesn't need any work at all. In my opinion, you know, obviously you can improve the little things, maybe a minor upgrade here, a minor upgrade there. But I believe in him to go out and fix the rotation in an offseason where he only has to focus on the rotation, nothing else. But you need an ace. And that's the one thing that I think if you go into next year and you don't have an ace, you're not gonna be in a better position. He's gonna be gone if he doesn't get him. He's got. He's gonna. You can. You can get better depth than we have this year, but we had better depth this year than we had last year. And ain't do shit. So you need an ace. I don't know if it has to be Yamamoto. You can trade for one. Um, with the depth in the farm and how all that is, especially in the hitting farm, you definitely have some more expendable guys. But you need to get. Yamamoto, not really a big Snell fan, but Gallon, if the Diamondbacks decide, hey, we don't want to extend this guy. Um, but there's really not that many options. Thies is having a down year. I can't see the Diamondbacks letting Gallon go. Honestly, I don't. I, I don't, don't either. Go. Yeah, no I don't think way. it's likely, but if, like – you know their owners are kind of cheap, and he's yeah. I mean, tr- trust me, if they if they do decide that, yeah, absolutely throw everything. I mean, 
I, I I'm the biggest Nick York fan in the nation here, but I mean, if they're if they're gonna get rid of Zach Allen, yeah, I would absolutely include Nick York in a package for Zach Allen. Like you'd be absolutely stupid not to. Same thing with and even he, if they're go ahead, my bad. Oh, I was just gonna say you need an ace, right? But it seems yeah. like the only guy that's an ace that's realistically available is Yamamoto. Burns peripherals are bad. And I, I'm a big Burns guy, but his peripherals... I was going to say, year, I would love Corbin Burns. I know his peripherals suck this year, but I would still love him on the Red Sox. Yeah, or but it's the same as, like, Cease and these other guys that have, like, insane stuff, but the, you know, it hasn't been all put together. Like, you wouldn't dislike them, but Yamamoto is the only guy I think right now, realistically, without, you know, for some reason, Sandy Alcantara or somebody like that coming on the block, being that dude right out the gate, and you know he's going to be that dude. So I think we need Yamamoto, and I think we need, like, a consistent inning-eating three that puts less pressure... Having a season from here mentioning Alcantara's name, Alcantara, Alcantara, however you say it. But we need we need that three that puts less pressure on the pen for these late season situations, and he doesn't have to be great. He just has to eat innings and not be bad. So if Aaron Noah took a pay cut, we wouldn't take him as a number three or four. Oh, well, if Aaron Nola wanted to be your guy this offseason, I mean, you wouldn't be happy with it like you would Yamamoto, but I wouldn't be mad at Aaron Nola being that guy either. I mean, his we were talking about peripherals and Burns being worse than what he's shown this year, but Nola's peripherals are some of – not one of the better ones he's had, but they aren't – bad at all by any means. And the Phillies defense Sierra, is terrible. 3.8 Sierra, 3.8 XFIP. You know, he's getting ground balls at the same rate. He just has a worse, you know, home run rate in Citizens Bank Park, which isn't that pitcher friendly. And his K's are down one and his walks are up one. But that's just gonna just gonna happen every now and then. I wouldn't be mad at Nola being the number one guy this off season. Um, I wouldn't be happy with it. Wouldn't be mad at it. He's probably my second option. Now you mentioned that you weren't big into Snell. Can I ask why? Uh regression mainly. Um, that's some a good point. Gonna, some that's, people are gonna fair. say. Some people are going to say, you know, oh, track record transcends that. But he has he has a 4.2 Sierra right now, and he hasn't done that since when he – I want to say he's having his worst year peripheral-wise since one of his earlier years in the majors. He has an 86 on base, left on base percentage, which is almost – identical to Luis Arias's left on base percentages last year. And he's just not going to keep walking six guys per nine and keep having success. I mean, it's the most walks per nine of his career by a landslide. 
And even though he's striking out guys in an elite level, it's his lowest strikeout rate in a full season since 2018, um, which was his Cy Young year, oddly enough. But he's just – I don't know. I don't trust a guy that I know is going to walk six dudes in outing to be the guy that takes him to the promised land. And I know he's also going to get one of the bigger contracts, which is why I'm more so out on him than others are. That's a fair point. So I want to bring up this quote from Sam Kennedy. Uh, He said this about a week ago. Quote, unquote, well, I think we've seen it. And it's it's sort of tried and true in baseball. Pitching, 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 more pitching is always needed. Kennedy said, quote unquote, and I think we've got some young players and pitchers in this organization that are going to help us. We've got to be active in the free agent market as we go forward in the next five years because pitching a defense wins championships. We all know that. And so that's got to be a big focus as we go forward, which makes me a lot more confident that I think ownership's going to step up this offseason. And I, I think Heim's going to stay. That's my gut feeling. They're going to tell Heim, all right, you can spend on pitching. Do what you got to do. Whatever. I'm making this prediction right now. I think the Red Sox 100% land Yamamoto or Blake Snow. I think it's going to be one of them. And I agree with Luke. You need a number like a number three. I would love Jordan Montgomery on this team. I'm a big Sonny Gray guy. I was an Arias fan until we heard about the news last week. So um, yeah, no that was that. I. I wanted him until that. I mean, yeah. One time, I, I okay. Everybody says, "Hey, I made a mistake." Okay, not not two times. Yeah. Um, Yamamoto to me is the price. I think that you need to you need to write a blank check here. You need to outbid everybody: the Mets, the Yankees, whoever else is in on him, and you need to land this pitching. I wanted Senga when he was coming over. Um, we missed out on him, and. I just – he's just so good. Like, his peripherals are good. His his posture is good. When I say posture, I mean his demeanor. He looks like a pitcher to me that would succeed under the bright lights. And that's what I get with Yamamoto. I watch tape on Yamamoto every day because I love what he brings. I love his pitching repertoire. I love his – just – just – look at him he just looks like a gamer to me he definitely i don't know the way people feel about otani is the way i feel about yamamoto and his curveball yeah, is he's... so disgusting exactly look at and max the... i'm sorry I don't look at elite curveballs prime claim kershaw elite curveball unstoppable right now max free arguably the best curveball in baseball top five pitcher right now in the game i mean just having just that one insane off-speed pitch that's all you need with an above-average fastball. You're going to be a good pitcher in the majors. And comparing Yamamoto to uh, Senga, Yamamoto's actually a better pitcher than Senga in the MPB. Oh, 100%. And Senga's rookie year. He's top 10 in ERA. Uh, he's on pace for almost 200 strikeouts in, in his first season. I mean, just think about that. This guy is supposed to be better than Senga, and Senga's been one of the best pitchers in baseball in his rookie season in the best baseball league in the entire planet. So, I mean, this guy's the prize. Throw whatever at him. I'm worried about the Mets. That's that's the, I think that's the main team that we're gonna have to compete to get him for. 
But I think yeah. we can win it out if Henry and Kennedy shove their balls and be like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this guy David Price contract immediately. See, I was worried about the Mets too. But I think one thing that kind of reassures me a little bit, um, obviously they're going to go out and they're going to throw money at him like Cohen does to everybody. But Sasaki is next year. I'm pretty sure Sasaki's going to get posted after 2024. And I'm not sure the Mets are going to be competing next year. And how likely is it that they get the top NPB pitcher three years in a row? Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean, you know, Yamamoto is guaranteed hours, but maybe just, you know, something to keep in the back of your mind. Maybe the Mets are holding off this year, and if they do, they're definitely getting Shisaki. But I, I like how Isaac brought up earlier about um, Kennedy's statement about spending in the offseason. And I don't have the quote directly in front of me, but I think one thing that got overlooked at the deadline was spending in the offseason. And everybody, Isaac admittedly a little bit included, was freaking out at the lack of pitching at the deadline. But if it was more predictable because Kennedy said a couple days beforehand that he believed in rewarding the guys by improvement in the offseason rather than improvement at the deadline because everything costs more at the deadline. And everything he said since has been in line with those earlier comments. And while ownership has let me down a lot more than once recently, it wouldn't be too shocking to me if they went balls to the walls this offseason and showed everybody who the Red Sox still are. Yep. So let me ask you guys this. What is your dream offseason scenario in terms of acquiring players? Like we everybody included? Yes. We all Yamamoto. know Yamamoto is one, obviously. So after Yamamoto. Yamamoto, balls to the walls, get Sonny Gray, and he'd be your two, right? And then you have Bayo one of the best, if not the best, three in baseball. And you have other guys you can put in the four and the five, maybe fail if you don't salary dump him. Um, but then regardless from that, maybe you would like to see one righty in the bullpen, but I would think that's the biggest thing. It just goes to the, the position players with defense. You know, Turner has his option next year. Maybe he declines it, and if he declines it, I don't know if he's a number one priority to get back. He's been clutching, you know, the best clutch hitter in baseball this year. I would overpay for him. I would overpay for him for one year. But I don't know if letting him walk and putting Yoshida, who you already have four more years of commitment to in the DH, and just getting another elite defensive outfielder improving your – defense that way is the worst decision to make. So I think my dream offseason is Yamamoto, Gray, and like someone that can either play outfield defensively or if Rafael approves himself, have Rafael and center, have 
Abreu in left, who was a known good corner defender. I know Cora has been playing him in center field because Cora, but in just getting another <laughs> outfield, getting another outfield bat, and just having them platoon daily, like having Teoscar or someone like that, and then having Teoscar play for Abreu against lefties, and then having Willier and Teoscar against righties, and so forth. Okay. What about you, Isaac? My dream offseason. Are you talking about just like my dream dream or dreamingly realistic? Uh, You know what? Throw me both. Okay. So my dream dream. Like if I was like, a, I was the richest owner in the world and I'm basically controlling like I am an LB the show. So <laughs> Yamamoto, you try to trade for Corbin Burns, see what the Brewers would ask for. And if the price is right, depending however you want to view it, I'd do that. I'd probably say like Nick York, Blaze Jordan, Vandral Han, maybe. And two well, the Brewers guys. laugh and hang up the phone if Nick York is the centerpiece. No disrespect no, to the man, I'm, I'm, but no, I'm just I'm throwing out names. I'm not naming a centerpiece. I don't think Rafaela is that untouchable in the grand scheme of things. You know, Kennedy said that they're not trading any of the top guys, which to me, maybe it's just the big three of Roman, Teal, and Marcelo. But I think, honestly, Rafael is maybe a little bit more expendable than some people would think. And, you know, there's really no need for guys like Bonafi, York's expendable. I mean, the infield is kind of set for the future a little bit. I've wanted to trade Bonazzi for two years now. I always thought he was just a, a cog in the system that was, as you said, expendable. Same thing with what's his face. Hickey would get some value, but um, yeah, maybe Abreu goes, honestly, because he's shown promise in areas this year. And do we need another lefty outfielder? Like, I think Abreu is really good. But yeah, and I thought he was going to go. I thought he was going to go in a package for Montgomery, honestly. I really did. And actually, if you look at Abreu's, I know we've kind of gone off the track of, you know, Isaac's wet dream um, offseason, <laughs> but. If you look at Abreu's stats so far, he's making good swing decisions, which is what you like to see from a young guy, right? I mean, his yeah. outside swing percentage is, I want to say it's 15, which for those that don't know is half of the MLB average of 30. Um, he's really just had some problems with taking pitches right down the middle. I mean, his zone swing percentage is almost 10% below major league average. And his contact percentages are also below major league average, which you obviously expect from a young player making their debut. But there's there's definitely a lot to like in his approach. And I think if you're a team, you look at the exit velocities he's put out on the balls he has put in play. I fail to see how there's not a team that would be opposed to giving up quite a lot for him given he's not that old and if he pans out you're looking at a four-win corner outfielder 
For sure. Do you think do you think Valdez can pan out as a bench back? No. And, um, well, no. Well, I mean, no, no offense to him, but uh Abreu is to me always the guy in the trade. You know, Valdez's OPS numbers were kind of what jumped out to everybody, but his approach and defensive limitations really leave him a lot less upside than Abreu. Like I said, Abreu could, if he really best-case scenarioed, be a four-win corner outfielder, like seventh-best corner outfielder at respective corner, wherever. Um, but Valdez upside, you're probably looking at a two-win a two-win platoon guy as he is right now unless he really fixes something with his defense or his just general approach. Um, Cause nothing his production across every level has been great enough to get him here, but none of his tools really jump out at you as anything special. That's I get what you're saying. I think, I think he could be a decent bench uh, bat first bench player, but that's just me. Yeah, and we um, don't need we don't need any lefties realistically. Like I like all of all of these guys like individually in a vacuum just as prospects, but as a collective, we don't need any more lefties. You kind of have to cut some dead weight somewhere. I think a big part of how the offseason goes will be how Rafaela does in the month of September. Uh so far he's looked solid. Uh, poor swing decisions are still there. He's making contact. He has really good ball bat to ball skills. So I think you could see that, and that's a big part of his game that's important in the majors. I mean, he had a he barreled a double in, in the eighth inning against was it Poche? Who was it against? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, um, Col- I wasn't Col- really watching Col- 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 but- Poche is a pretty good left-handed pitcher. So I mean, they're that's a good thing. I think it's a big part of you see of how we will see double the off Valdez. Yeah, that too. I mean, so so far he's sitting above three hundred, but if he does well, I think he he's a starting center fielder next year, and that makes this is a Durant. tricky part. That makes Duran. If that if Rafaela pans out, I think one of Duran or Verdugo gets traded. But the question is. You don't keep on. You don't plan on keeping Verdugo. I think you trade him, but if you'd rather sell high on Duran, you trade him. I believe both can be true, but if we did trade him for Dugo, I've always said this: trade him to the Marlins for Ever Cabrera in a package, please. I think they would accept that if they wanted to keep him. They have way too many good pitching prospects that are, and they have Luzardo, Alcantara, like Braxton Garrett. Like, do they really need Ever Cabrera? He's nasty. You know, He's a really talented pitcher. But that's that's staying that's on one of my Marlins, dream scenarios. Staying on the Marlins a little bit, I actually think Duran to the Marlins for a guy like Braxton Garrett wouldn't be awful for both sides. That would um, not. You know, I think everybody's kind of on the Verdugo bad train right now. Um, even I'm though not, he's been I better lately. Was. Even though he's been better lately, like he's having a good season. He only has a year left. 
and we haven't committed him anything. So I think a lot of people just want kind of just to cut ties and see if you can get something back to just keep the train going. But he, you know you're going to get good defense out of him. He's not as athletic as Duran, but his reads and his instincts in the outfield are just better. Um, and Duran, with his service time and four years of con- – four, three, four years of control left in what he provides on the base path just has three times the value that Verdugo does. But I don't know if you commit to Verdugo for a couple of years, short-term extension, does Duran provide three times the value to the Red Sox that Verdugo does? And no. that's just something that I think if you want to upgrade the pitching that badly, you trade you trade Duran before you trade Verdugo. Yes. You absolutely trade Duran before you trade Verdugo. Um I would I would really like to somehow swim it's not gonna happen, but if we could get Lazardo somehow, that would be that that's my dream. Trading for Lazardo, honestly. But Lazardo's been on take. my on my wish list for a while since last offseason. You know, I really wanted him. Since um, Oakland. I want him since Oakland. Yeah, it would pr- it would probably take Duran, Duran, York, Perales, and maybe some more little throw-ins for for Lizardo, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. Wickleman, I'll take Wickleman. Yeah, I would love Jesus Lizardo. I would do that too. Yeah, as much as I love Nick York, I would actually do that. Yeah, I don't know if Perales. Especially with Perales being, you know, working his way up through the minors. Um, and I think you've kind of seen some of that struggle, to, not struggle, but inconsistency in finding his footing and just the upside. There's definitely a team that, or teams, plural, that would want him. And with Monegro's dominance this year and kind of breakout as the best all-around pitching prospect in the system. I don't know that Perales is that unexpendable as he was even last year. I know Perales had his breakout last year, but um, if a team really wanted him in a trade and you could upgrade for a bona fide, you know, star love caliber pitcher, that's younger like Lazardo and fits your window flawlessly. How can you pass that up? Um, obviously, I'm not sure really the, the Marlins would do that, but just I think there's a lot of names in the minors right now that some guys wouldn't really think of as immediate trade bait that probably aren't so safe in their Red Sox security. I would agree with that. Yeah, just uh, we'll move on. But just with the offseason, we can all agree, pretty obvious, get starting pitching, do everything you get to get Yamamoto. Everything else with trying to fix the defense, bringing back Turner, what do you do with the outfield? It's pretty tricky. It's a great problem to have. So just trust, trust the front office. Hopefully that works. Next topic, 
talk a little about a little bit about the farm. Teal and Anthony promoted to double A. Um, Meyer put on the, the developmental list. So is Drohan. Bonacci's been looking good. Hickey's been raking. I mean, like we said, Rafael has come up. He's looked pretty solid. Abreu's looked good. Valdez, Valdez had a two-run homer off Zach Eflin. Pretty good starting pitcher. We know we know what Valdez is going to do. I think he's going to be a solid hitter in that majors. I don't know anything else because of his defense. Um, what else? Oh yeah, Bokeman Gonzalez has been really good in Double A, and your Donnie Monegro, probably the most jump we've seen from a pitching prospect in our farm all year. And I've gotten data on him. I think he's our number one pitching prospect overall. So you have him, Perales, and Gonzalez, three nasty pitchers. Hopefully, uh, they all work out. We'll see what happens there, and hopefully they keep developing. Nick, oh yeah, Nick York's um, had a really good second half. He's been really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he, I could see him be promoted to Triple A within the next week or so for a week or two. Thank you, thank you. I think I'm making up. <laughs> yeah. So, not to go on another tangent, um, because it's really something that we've known for the last month, but. The Marcelo Meyer disrespect is getting quite out of hand. It's just um, one person. We all know who that one person is. No, it's a couple people. No, it's, I saw someone. It's, no, it, it's it's a lot of people. Because yeah. I saw someone it's, earlier tonight, and I don't mean to cut, it, cut you guys off. I saw somebody earlier say, "I hope the Red Sox did make a mistake by drafting Marcelo Meyer over Jordan Lawler." And I like Jordan Lawler, but absolutely not. <laughs> oh, like I'm it's sorry. Just, Go ahead. It's just gone out of hand, just because you know, a little that little little that rattle off. Because I honestly don't think the discussion is even worth that much time. But he had one of his worst OPSs in a stretch ever over the last 14 games over. Double uh, A after the All Star break, which really dropped his OPS from borderline seven hundred to low six hundreds across Double A. Um, where before that he was heating up, you know, you look at the fourteen games in Double A before the All Star break, which for his Double A career would be games fifteen to twenty nine. He had it over an eight hundred OPS. Eight- 833 OPS. And so he's kind of finding his footing and then everything just got a wrench thrown in it. And so the people that are worried about Marcelo and the people that think Marcelo is a bust or that Marcelo is bad at baseball or that Marcelo was not worth the number four pick or that Marcelo anything other than Marcelo is the same exact guy he was two months ago. I think they're just, they're just wrong. Especially all those like, fans of other teams that get a little bit of data and think they're the next greatest thing since baseball America got started right ranking him in the sixties. It's just a little bit ridiculous. Um, not to, not to rant on it too much, but. No, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, ever since that futures game, he just didn't look right. Even when he hit that single, like, 
just something looked off to me. And then, you know, he comes back and he came out of that game and they're like, oh, shouldn't miss too much time. I'm like, I don't know. It just didn't look right. And look at where we're at now. But I'm not, I'm not worried. You know, I was hoping he'd come back, you know, because I was like, watch this kid come back, hit like 340 the rest of the way, even though there's only a week and a half left of the double-A season. But, yeah. I hope he gets some time okay. in the AFL this year. Oh, absolutely. And I definitely think that they're going to go ahead and do that and put him in the AFL and he'll he'll return to form, you know. But I just want to touch upon one thing about that really quick, too. Uh, I love that he went on Twitter and he took all the receipts. I love that. <laughs> so, um, watch yeah, but out. The, the, so the point of this segment was to talk about the farm, right? And I think if you want to talk about the year overall, I don't know how you can have any complaints about the farm. You know, we've seen so many breakouts, and it's really kind of offset the regressions. Obviously, you've had Lugo hasn't performed at the level he expected. Cavadas was being ranked in top 10 first base list by pipeline at some point over the past couple of years since he's been drafted. But other than that, I mean, there's been so many breakouts. I mean, Roman going from can this kid hit a baseball to can he stop oh hitting a baseball? <laughs> look at the plate discipline, look at the look at the everything about him, top 20 prospect, like there's just not much to complain about other than Marcelo and Blyce's injuries. But as far as the farm goes under Heim, you can't ask for anything better. He's hit on almost all of his first round picks. Um, I'm not going to touch on Mike Romero just because it's, it's a too small sample to even say anything, but he's gotten great value late depth pieces and he's hit consistently on getting high level talent in the first round, which is just what you do if you're a good team with good process that builds a good farm. So yeah, I mean, as far as that front goes, major league club been kind of ass at some points this year, but you can't really say anything bad to discredit what has been going on in the underworks of the, the franchise this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I want to talk about Kyle Till for a little bit. I think teams are regretting on passing him. His Especially bat, the Royals. Yeah, they yeah. took Blake Mitchell over him. He's another catcher. His bat isn't going to like be amazing or anything. He's a pretty damn good hitter. But if you've seen clips of his defense – this is like absolutely insane. If it's pop time, his arm. We're, we're we got ourselves a catcher, a really good catcher, and we haven't had a we haven't had one like Veritech in a very long time. So that's pretty promising to see. And besides pipeline, I mean every other uh, prospect site. I mean they have us easily like top seven, top ten at worst. So. For those listening, don't don't take MLB pipeline seriously. They have us at 16th. Don't don't take them seriously. Bleacher Report, Fangraphs, ESPN, Baseball America, they all have the Red Sox top 10. So <laughs> Yeah, Teal reminds me a lot of I don't want to compare them one for one, 
because you know some people may think it's just like a buzz name because he's hot right now but Patrick Bailey um that you saw in the 2020 draft out of NC State where he went in the teens when he probably shouldn't have because you just know these guys are going to be those dudes defensively at the bigs at the highest level for the most important defensive uh, position and especially for a group of players that other than relief pitchers in college catchers is one of the safest picks you can get. I really don't know how the league let him drop to us. Um, might not be a 150 WRC plus guy that puts up the greatest exit velocities you've ever seen, but they're good enough. I mean, I think I he had a 104.90. I think he had a 104.90th uh, percentile EV in college, which was pretty on par with what Wyatt Langford and some of these other top end guys do. So definitely, definitely some sleeping, um, you know, a lot of the, the woke exit velocity side of prospects, Twitter loved putting him in the twenties, um, loved, loved putting him down, but there's just some things that have always worked forever that you kind of can't, can't knock on and good college catchers that are elite defensively and got a little bit of a bat to them. That's something that will always be valuable. Anything else on the farm you guys want to talk about? Um, I mean, you, you kind of already talked about Monegro being the best pitching prospect in the system um, a little bit earlier. I don't have any of the underlying stats on him, but I've watched a couple of his starts because I do have, uh, you know, the MILB TV, all access, whatever. And he just has a feel for him that may not show up on the stat sheet, but the way he controls the zone for a young player lower in the minor league system is really, really quite impressive. And some of his action on his curveball, which right now is definitely his best pitch, is just phenomenal. I mean, this is the biggest jump we've seen from a Red Sox pitching prospect since Bayo back in 2021. And, you know, that's kind of high praise. But if you have Manegro turn out and you have those two leading your rotation for the next decade, I think you feel like you're in a good spot. Yeah, not, nothing's cooler than having Dominican players just be studs on your favorite baseball team, as we saw with Poppy, Pedro, and Manny. So I'm just happy that the Red Sox can finally develop pitches again. That's all. Like, yeah, we need to do that. Organization is- it it seems like we're taking a turn for the best here and actually developing what seems to be promising starting pitching or pitching as a whole. Um, I do like Manegro. Uh, I still like Perales. I, I'm a big Wickleman guy. Um, I still even like Drohan, honestly. I mean, Drohan didn't really have the greatest time in AAA, but I definitely think that next year he'll be better and good vibe for you know, helping the big league club at some point next year. Even even Walter. I like Walter, too, to a point. So, um, Well, Perales, you know, everybody kind of had him number one coming into the year. And because it's his fastball, you can't get any better of a fastball than that from a teenager, early 20-year-olds. He just hasn't been able to figure out his secondaries yet consistently. And when you're 
reaching towards double A um, and getting closer, you know, the clock's kind of ticking. And I feel like you haven't seen an insane amount of development in that area from him. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but um, that's why I, I'm still high on him, but I would have him over Manegro. Yeah, Good so uh, with Joran. His Johan's kind of lost velocity as the season's gone on, too. His best pitch by far is his changeup. It's actually one of the best changeups in AAA, uh, looking at data. I think he should throw his cutter more. I think that, that's what he should be, a cutter changeup guy. His uh, command hasn't been there, but you could always work with that. But there's still, there's still something on Johan for sure. I, I wouldn't look too much into pitcher stats at Polar Park. I mean, that that's literally a sandbox. It's not fair for pitchers. A pad down there, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like boat, like everything is so short. It's not fair for pitchers. But like stats aren't the best way to judge prospects. If you evaluate prospects because of stats, you should not be doing that. Just a couple more talk topics before we end this, but just want to talk about Bayo Sweeper. Uh, so Red Sox stats on Twitter. I'm sure you guys listening, y'all know who he is. Bayo added a sweeper, I think, after it was the Yankees start at New York. He didn't throw it that much, but it looked promising. Then he didn't he didn't do good against the Tigers. If, I think he went back to his slider that game, and it just got crushed every time he hung it up in the middle. But ever since, his sweeper has been generating more whiffs than a slider. Uh, the contact is better, like better from a Red Sox perspective, allowing worse contact from Bayo. And I know the stat line doesn't say it, but this past start against Tampa – I think that was just one of one of his most impressive starts we've seen all season. So in the first inning, he allowed three runs on terrible ground ball luck. They were hit hard, but if you if you allow ground ball, I, I that's like kind of hit hard. And for a double play, that's good. So after that, he shoved. I mean, responding down three nothing against a really good race team and just dominating them for five innings, getting seven strikeouts. That's really really good. And a lot of those were on his sweeper. So that's something promising we can see with Bayo. And we, he's a good pitcher, but if he wants to take that next step and become a number two or a borderline ace, you need that third Osby pitch. His changeup's already elite. His sinker's going to play no matter what and generate ground balls. Yeah, Bayo's good. I, I think it's really – it's not that hard to overthink with some of the analytics regarding pitchers, but simply he just, you know, he's one of those guys that has it. And I think this season, 3.67 ERA, um, which is borderline top 20 in the entirety of baseball as a sinker changeup pitcher, which are two pitches that are relatively similar in shape, um, differ in velocity, but what he's been able to do with only those two, I mean, you're so excited for the future if you can develop a consistent off-speed or other breaking pitch like the sweeper, maybe add a cutter, 
um, consistently because I know he's kind of throwing here and there. But if you get a thinker change, cutter, sweeper fastball, I mean, that's an eight and a half from Bayo, considering everything else he's done. Just easily the brightest spot on the team this year other than Cassis for me. Without a doubt. And that's why I want him and Cassis extended this offseason. That should be the top priority, aside from obviously addressing the pitching needs and, you know, improving the roster as a whole. Those two are my extension candidates. That's yeah. an obvious to me. Yeah, you have to extend both of them. That, that thing's yeah. another goal in the offseason. Yeah, because if you look at Mookie, I know kind of a sensitive topic in the in the socks. Um spear, but he really only had five completely full seasons in the Red Sox, which is just poor from Dombrowski and the ownership and everybody that was there before he got traded to not go back to the Arb extensions like the Braves do. And I think that's kind of what we got away from in those late 2010s and what we need to get back to to build sustainability. I just think that those two are, you know, aside from obviously Devers, you know, those two are two players that you just you build a team around, you know. Um, so definitely those two guys, they're part of they're part of your core, they're part of your future. Obviously, Meyer. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'll throw I'll throw Blaze in there. Um, you know, I wouldn't. They, really. I've heard some things I, on him that I'll you know I'll pile it on, but uh, I think definitely Cassis. You can see that guy being your poppy for the next decade. You know, some people compare Devers to Poppy because they're both Dominican lefties and absolutely mash the ball. But in some terms of play style, I think Cassis is almost kind of more like Poppy than even Rafi is, you know. So if you have those two anchoring your offense as lefties for the next decade, that'll definitely make building the rest of it around around them a lot easier. So definitely Devers to me is like are. a Devers to me is like Adrian Beltre almost with worse defense. But as a hitter, he reminds me a lot of Adrian Beltre. He swings really hard. He hits the ball hard. And just there are times where I think that helps him and it hurts him because, well, you see what it does. He swings. It yeah, it's, it's almost like swing. it's almost like uh, like good cop, bad cop. You know, yeah. Where Rafi, Rafi's bad cop, and and Cass is good cop. You know, always yeah. the one to put a to put together the good at best, no matter what. He may not do the theatrics that Rafi does when he's hot, but those two are definitely the ones you need for an elite offense over the next decade. So yeah. I'm gl- I'm glad we had one. Time to get the other secured. For sure. Anything else you guys want to add? So one last thing, Luke, because I know you said earlier that you know you can't overlook Devers this year, and I don't disagree with that at all. Obviously, I think that he needs to show accountability for having, I guess, a a down year by his standards. But 
when I said like I, I would give him a pass, I mean, when I say that, it's like, you know, okay, this was your Mookie 2017 year where like things just didn't go right. You still put up some numbers, but they weren't where we would like them to be. You know what I'm saying? So like when I say give it a pass, like I mean like, okay, this is your 2017 Mookie year, but next year we expect the 35 110 you know, four win player that we know that you can be four plus five plus win player. Definitely, definitely. I'm I'm still a Rafi fan, so most of the you know harps on him I've had over the past couple months are from a place of knowing that he's better than he is. Absolutely. Um, and so a lot of his clutch his clutch problems, defensive butterfinger problems, um I think they're fixable on a on a year to year basis. And so yeah. I'm not worried about him for the for the future, but he yeah. definitely hasn't done everything he can to make sure yeah. this team is as good as they can be this year. No, absolutely. That's why I said like he he reminds me a lot of Adrian Beltre because I think that that can be his ceiling, like an Adrian Beltre type player, but with worse defense. So I mean, like that's where I made that connection from. I just figured I'd clarify that. I'm not saying that he is Adrian Beltre because obviously he's not, but he could still put up the offensive numbers that Adrian Beltre. Well, we saw here for one year, which should have been more, but that's a different story. But for all those years in Texas and Seattle and LA. I don't know if you guys were around for his LA days, but is that all you guys got? Oh, yeah, sorry. Think so. I <laughs> think so. That's uh, all good. All right. Well, if that's it, uh just wanted to say thanks guys for having me and uh it was a pleasure, and I uh, hope I get to do it again soon. Here. Yeah. Uh, go follow Tom on Twitter. At, at Red Sox Tom 30. Yep, at Red Sox Tom 30. <sighs> Sorry, I'm tired, but. No, it's all right. All right, <laughs> yeah. guys. Well, thank you again. Have a good night. Luke, it was always a pleasure. You too, Isaac. Yep, thank you, Tom. Tom. And thank you for listeners. Uh, episode thirty six. Go follow us at Sox Rundown on Twitter. Try to trying to improve the Twitter account, so just try to help us with that. And thank you.